Hello, and welcome back to the FreightWaves Intermodal Summit. I am Mike Bowden-Distel. I'm an analyst and market expert here at uh, FreightWaves. And for this session is from a Class 1 uh, Railroads perspective. And I'd like to introduce our guest is uh, Alan Shaw. Alan is the Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Norfolk Southern. He has been with Norfolk Southern since uh, 1994. Uh, Alan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Mike. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, and I'd like to start with just the topic of the hour, uh, Hurricane, Hurricane Ida. Um, I'm sure you've been through a lot of these, you know, in, in your career. Um, I know we're still probably evaluating, you know, what's happening with, uh, you know, the railroad and, 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 you know, certain terminals, you know, when they're coming back online. But what are your sort of initial thoughts in terms of, you know, which uh, categories of freight are going to be most impacted and how long will it take before the network is fully, uh, you know, operational running at, running at full blast? Well, it certainly adds an unneeded level of stress to an already um, stressed supply chain. And, uh, you know, I think we're, we're, we're talking to our customers right now. They, they still don't know uh, what the impact is. I think a lot of it's going to depend upon how long commercial power is out. Um, that'll have an impact on our customers' ability to recover and, um, and resume their own manufacturing processes. I mean, clearly it's hitting the Gulf, and so it's going to have an impact on the energy complex. But as the Gulf uh, recovers, you know, you're, you're going to see more demand for trucking. You're going to see more demand for building materials as well. Um, same thing we saw a couple of years ago. Um, and maybe similar to what we saw with the, um, the severe weather that impacted Texas in February. Yeah, a lot, lot of moving parts there. You know, setting that aside for a second um, and, and just talking about intermodal, I mean, it's been such a wild ride in intermodal, you know, specifically, you know, really since the, the, the pandemic started, we had sort of a bust in volumes followed by a boom in volumes and, and, and some of these constraints that you just you just made reference to. Uh, you know, what's your outlook for the remainder of the year in, uh, in intermodal? Well, I think the demand environment is incredibly strong and it'll stay there for the remainder of this year and well into 2022 as we move through this prolonged inventory replenishment cycle. You know, the question for intermodal as a whole is how do we apply capacity to the uh, to the environment in which we're operating? And you see, as I noted, you see stress everywhere. We're seeing slower um, dwell times on equipment. We're seeing um, stress in the, the drainage community and the warehousing community. Um, out west, you're seeing so cycle times on uh, on line of road for in the rail network are slower, and so there's a tightness of flat cars, and certainly a tightness of chassis and boxes, and port congestion as well. I think I read something today that 10% of all the container capacity is is waiting to get into a port right now, uh, a congested port. So that's um, it, it, it's going to take a long time to dig through this, but demand is there. The demand from the consumer is certainly there, and Intermodal's got a product that is in increasing demand um, because of some of the benefits that it provides, such as sustainability and an ability to to provide more capacity into um, into a tight market. You mentioned a lot of constraints uh, right there. I wanted to ask you specifically about the throughput at your intermodal facilities, because you called that out um, on your latest uh, you know, analyst call. You know, how has that been progressing in this, these latest uh, weeks? Well, it's uh, the throughput for the, the intermodal terminals has been impacted by the drainage 
community, the warehouse community, our ability to put our own assets to it. You know, we had a safety recall on some of our chassis. Um, that's largely been uh, resolved. And it's also been impacted on, um, on labor force participation by our intermodal contractors. I think as of, um, as of recent, we've seen um, more stress on the drainage community. There's some, some markets in which we're ser- serving in which street dwell has actually increased sequentially over, say, the last two months. Um, so that's an impact on on the throughput through through our terminals. Got it. Yeah, difficult uh, situation to, to operate in. Um, wanted to ask you also about this Greencastle, Pennsylvania facility that you just reopened. Um, I think it goes effective September 10, so about a week and a half from now. Uh, what are you hoping to accomplish by uh, you know reopening that facility? Is it a you know, is it a permanent uh, you know reopening? You know, I, I think what it does is it it shows our mindset. You know, we're part of this supply chain ecosystem and we're working on everything we can do to improve the ecosystem and improve the capacity. And you see that by our investments this year in a number of intermodal terminals. We're investing in Chicago, we're investing in Kansas City, we're investing in Atlanta. We're we're fixing the chassis um, much quicker than originally thought. We're bringing on new chassis uh, in the form of leases starting in in September. So we're very anxious and looking forward to that as well. And we're continuing to invest in cranes and in pavement. With with Greencastle, we saw a need, um, but because of the expanded use of e-commerce, which is, you know, is heavily intermodal intensive. Uh, We had opened it a number of years ago when we launched Crescent Quarter. The market wasn't ready for it. There wasn't a demand for it. And so we idled it. Now the market is ready for it. There's a lot of growth and demand in Eastern PA. And so we're, we're committed to providing a good service product to our customers and bringing capacity to the market. So we're, gonna, we're opening it um, later in September, and we are pretty confident that it's, it's an, another solution that we're bringing to the market. Yeah, I also wanted to ask you about your uh, intermodal growth opportunities. I know that you're a big believer that uh, intermodal volume can grow at a multiple of GDP, particularly in the domestic side of it. Um, why don't you elaborate on, on, on that a little bit? Where are those opportunities coming from? You know, through the foresight of, of those who came before me, we've got the most powerful intermodal franchise in the East. When we talk about multiples of GDP, certainly I'm thinking about our our domestic franchise and our intermodal in general, our franchise solves a lot of the the, um, the issues that our customers are trying to solve. Um, there are a number of trends that we believe were in place before the pandemic, which have been accelerated by the pandemic. One is the desire for forward positioning of inventory next to the consumer. You know, and, and with our intermodal footprint and where we, we operate, we serve a majority of the consumption in the U.S. economy. Another is the ability to bring on capacity. Um, intermodal, because of its labor efficiency, is much more able to ramp up capacity than, than the trucking market. Another is, uh, is sustainability. You know, um, that's becoming increasingly important to, to our customers, to us, and to our employees. And as you know, um, intermodal is 3x, 4x more efficient than, than truck. And so, Intermodal provides a lot of solutions. There's a lot of reasons that cut our channel partners and our the BCOs that our channel partners in Norfolk Southern 
jointly serve want to choose intermodal. Also, great. I also want to ask you about refrigerated intermodal. I mean, some of the intermodal companies are starting to at least allocate a portion of their container purchases to refrigerated containers. Do you think that's going to be a big growth area uh, for you? You know, it very well could be. It requires a higher order of of service um, than your standard domestic product, but certainly um, movement of, of refrigerated goods around the country is becoming more and more important. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, we wanted to ask you, I mean, one of the things that's changed with the pandemic is there's been more growth in, you know, some of the mid-sized cities, you know, throughout the country, places like Murfreesboro, uh, Tennessee, maybe Austin, Texas, and, you know, slow growth or no growth in, in some places like Chicago. And when I sort of, sort of think about that, you know, in comparison to intermodal, you know, those cities aren't as served as well, you know, by intermodal as like a Chicago, you know, would be. I mean, do you think that's a, a big impediment to growth uh, in the intermodal uh, volume in the next com- uh, coming years? You, you know, I, th- I think intermodal um, has, a, has a role to play there as well. You know, you think about folks moving into sur- suburbs or even further out, um, they might not have the retail alternatives um, that they're used to in, in the larger cities. And so potentially you could see their buying patterns shift more towards e-commerce. Well, as, as we discussed, in, um, e-commerce is heavily intermodal intensive. And so that, that actually, from that standpoint, creates more opportunities. You know, because of our footprint of, um, of terminals, I think we are uniquely positioned to, to serve those markets. And frankly, reopening of Greencastle is a good example of that. You know, that, as I noted, that's, that's a, an area that was not in demand a number of years ago. It is now. And so we're, we're reopening it. That makes sense. Yeah. I wanted to also ask you, um, you know, one of the comments that struck me from your, the last analyst call is, you know, the, the intermodal spot rates, we look at those and those sometimes shoot up, but, you know, you don't follow those up with, with contract rates. And I, and I completely understand why. And I just really wanted to ask you, I mean, we look at that, those intermodal spot rates, you know, every week because we have them in our freight wave system, you know, how would you interpret those rates when you see, you know, one week after the next, intermodal spot rates shoot up 30, 40%. Um, is that just, you know, protecting capacity for contracted shippers or, or, or how would you in- interpret those uh, spot rate changes? And, and do you have any sense of how much, what portion of the, of the volume actually moves on the, on the spot rates? Um, I think it's a, it's a relatively small component of, uh, of what moves out there, which is another reason not to chase it. You know, frankly, Mike, when I look at that, I think to myself, well, that's, that's good for our channel partners. You know, we want them to be successful. We want them to be able to provide a consistent, reliable value product to their customer. We want them to, to, um, to be able to secure value for that. You know, for us, what we do is we work with our channel partners to provide them some level of surety in their rates and so they can go out through bid season and, and get into these contracts with their customers and provide a, um, a long-term growth prospects for both us and, and their BCS. Got it. I wanted to ask you about uh, intermodal train length. I think you said that uh, last two quarters, you've had 10,000 feet or, or 10% of your trains at 10,000 feet or longer. W- where do you see that progressing in the coming years? And, and are you, you know, working with, um, you know, extending passing sidings in order to increase the, tr- the train length? And, and wanted to get your, your thoughts on that in the context of, you know, service levels. And, and, and is that antithetical at all to, to service? You know, I think, um, well, I know that we are, we talked about on our call that we are um, extending some passing sidings. That's a that's a component of our strategy. Um, 
it means less trains out there. And so you should be able to run your, your existing train network faster because you have, um, you have less train meets in place. You know, intermodal can run very efficiently and very well at very long train lengths because it's not all that heavy. You know, it's just long. And so if you solve that through, um, through sidings, then you, and it reduces the number of, um, of head to head meets, then, then obviously it will improve the quality of your product. Um, it's a great way for us to add capacity for our customers without, um, without waiting through a capital budget cycle to add locomotives, um, or, going through the hiring process for crews. We can quickly ramp up and um, and provide capacity and service for our customers by adding cars or adding containers to existing trains. Got it. Um, also wanted to ask you on uh, your accessorial charges. That's one thing we've heard from from uh, shippers who have, uh, you know, discussed the, the tension to merge fees. I, you know, I understand your you know, viewpoint on that, you know, you want to get the containers through the terminals. That's such a big, you know, uh, constraint there. And, and you also mentioned that, um, you know, those charges are going to decline from the second quarter, which they were your fairly, you know, large portion of your revenue per unit growth. I think about half or, or, or more, um, you know, is that d- anticipated decline in uh, accessorial charges? Is that related to, you know, improved throughput or is it really, um, you know, change in, in the way your the mythology for, for calculating some of those rates or, other actions like some of this offsite, you know, parking, you know, things of that nature. You know, as we saw the the drainage community become stressed earlier this year, um, and the impact that that was having on the throughput through the terminals, and frankly, our ability to load containers, uh, particularly in the international community at the ports, we we were proactive, and uh, we went out and we added capacity, we added satellite lots, we reconfigured our stack. And, um, and number of locations so that we could hold more boxes. And frankly, that's allowed us to provide a service to our customers because we're able to continue to load at the ports and move them inland um, and wait for the drainage community to come pick them up. It's, um, it's certainly our hope that the drainage community continues um, its progress on becoming healthier, pulls more boxes off our terminals so that uh, we can load more at the ports. Yeah, that makes sense. I think you need as much sort of throughput um, containers moving as as, as possible. Um, you know, another thing that struck me from from your recent comments is you said that the last eighteen straight quarters you've had growth in revenue per unit in intermodal, and it's uh, kind of remarkable because you know you look at uh, the the truckload side of of things and you don't have that same level of you know consistency where you know you do have uh, you know price declines you know during, during cyclical just slower periods in, in, in truckload you do think of those two uh, modes as being competitive uh, maybe you could just explain you know how you've been able to um, you know increase uh, you know prices sort of consistently um, you know on, on that basis and you know where you see typical uh, price spreads in domestic intermodal between uh, intermodal and, and and truck and, and where you see that going so I think it goes back to our earlier discussion. Um, we're really focused on on measured um, improvements in our rate structure. Uh, we won't chase the spot market that creates too much volatility for our customers. And so um, we know that we continue to invest in our, our own product. We're continuing to add value, whether that's through 
physical investments, whether that's improving the quality of our service or whether that's, you know, um, technology investments to, um, to improve our digital interface with our customers. As I talked about, there are a lot of factors going on in the environment right now that are making intermodal more and more valuable for customers. And so we feel like um, with that, we can price into that environment over it's a, it's a measured approach to it. Um, so we've been making improvements in RPU, less fuel for the last uh, four and a half years through an upcycle and a downcycle. We fully in, intend to continue that uh, for the remainder of this year and into next year. That makes sense. And I also wanted to ask you about, um, you know, the, the ports market share. And I know that has a pretty big you know, impact on, on, on your business. Um, it seems like this last, let's say the pandemic era has been unusual in that the West Coast ports have gained some you know, market share. I mean, now you have a huge amount of congestion, you know, 40 something ships at, at, at anchor. But, you know, normally, would you expect the East Coast to grow in terms of um, you know market share, you know given that there's been so much uh, investment um, you know up and down the East Coast to you know accommodate larger you know vessels, um, and how, you know, how does that impact your uh, your volume? Uh, considering that you maybe move more off of the East Coast, maybe a little bit less that comes trans- transcontinentally. Well, Mike, we've seen that shift that you're you're um, articulating say over the last ten to fifteen years, and that's kind of been a steady. Uh, movement from West Coast to East Coast, whether that's because of widening of the Suez Canal, widening of the Panama Canal, um, onshore and nearshoring next to the consumer and and the East. We've certainly seen it. We've benefited from it. And we're partnering with with some pretty strategic ports up and down the East Coast, which have done a very good job of adding capacity um, to their ports. And then there's also some very good economic development allies that we partner with in the east which are um, creating more commercial activity which which draws more business through the east coast ports so we expect that will continue um, a, a shift from west coast to east coast and again that's one of the reasons we feel really strongly about our intermodal franchise you mentioned the environmental um, benefit of, of intermodal a minute ago. Can you put any numbers around that in terms of just improved, you know, fuel efficiency um, or you know less diesel usage or, or anything like that? Yeah, well, as as I noted, uh, inter rail is three to four times more efficient than truck, and so it's a it's a benefit for intermodal. It's also a benefit for our merchandise network as well. We have a number of customers. In, uh, in our merchandise segment who are talking to us about highway to rail conversions, if only to satisfy their carbon abatement uh, goals. About 25% of our customers have publicly announced um, carbon abatement plans, and it's another solution that Norfolk Southern can bring to, to our customers to help them with their goals. That's great. Um, just have a couple minutes left, but I and I wanted to ask you just because you oversee uh, you know marketing of, of all the other segments too. I mean, when focused on intermodal, but for those that you know care about um, you know the other segments and, and found their way here to the intermodal uh, summit, why don't you give us just a brief update and, and just at a high level of, of what's happening in uh, you know the other segments? Well, markets are markets are really hot, no matter uh, what segment we're talking about. Um, within the coal market, U.S. coals are highly competitive overseas right now. Uh, and there's a lot of demand for electricity generation 
um, domestically and also demand for uh, for steel production. Um, our steel customers are feeling very, very good about things. Um, steel prices, which you know, last, this time last year, $400, $500 per ton are now about $1,800 per ton near record highs. And that's with an auto industry that's um, where production is pretty weak right now because of the semiconductor shortage. But even, you know, that'll get solved at some point. Um, and right now, you know, we're at about 1.1 finished, 1.1 million finished vehicles in inventory. Normally, you're about 3.1 to 3.3 million. And so, you know, our auto customers are going to be replenishing their inventory of, uh, of product um, well into next year and potentially into 2023, which frankly is going to pull more petrochemicals, it'll pull more plastics, it'll pull more steel. Um, and so I think no matter what you're talking about, um, inventory levels are very low. Retail inventory sales ratios like um, at, at record lows. And so I think there's going to be a lot of demand in the transportation space in 22 and uh, potentially well into 2023. That's great. It sounds like there's going to be plenty to, to keep Norfolk Southern busy and, and the other railroads busy, as well as all of your, your partners, uh, you know, on, on the highway and, and all of your customers. But um, that's really, you know, all the time we have uh, today. But I just really want to thank you, uh, Alan Shaw, for uh, giving us this update on Intermodal and um, you know, hope, you, hope you can come back and, and see us on future uh, summits. Well, Mike, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's great to spend some time with you. Absolutely.